In this episode of After the Honeymoon, we catch up with the Smoochers after their 25th wedding anniversary, looking back on their lives together so far. Their story is like so many of ours, filled with ups and downs, tough decisions, and solid commitment to each other and to God. Still looking up, I'm still looking up 
I want to welcome you to uh, worship today. Amen. And uh, I'd like to welcome all of the brothers and sisters at our different sites, our different congregations who are a part of this worship experience. Perhaps you heard about the couple who'd been married for 50 years, and on the night of their 50th anniversary celebration, they, they uh, turned out the lights and went to bed, ready to go to sleep. And after a few minutes, the wife broke the silence, and she said, Walter, do you remember what you did 50 years ago this very night? He said, no, what? She said, well, you, you hugged me before we went to sleep. He said, oh, oh okay. And he kind of half-heartedly reached over and gave her a hug. Well, uh, about a minute or two later, he was almost asleep, and she broke the silence again and said, Walter, do you remember also what you did 50 years ago tonight? Um, you gave me a kiss. Good night. And he, uh, not very enthusiastically, kind of reached over and gave her a peck on the cheek. Well, five or six minutes later, he was almost asleep. And once again, she broke the silence and said, Walter, do you remember what else you did 50 years ago tonight? You nibbled on my ear. And at that, he got up out of bed, sort of in a huff, and began to walk away. She said, Walter, where are you going? He said, I'm going to get my teeth. Now, that's a horrible way to begin the service. <laughs> but we're in a series called Built to Last. And for seven weeks, we're looking at the subject of marriage, relationships, love, commitment, and what it is, what are those ingredients that make a marriage really not only healthy, but make it last throughout the years? And next week, you don't want to miss next week, because we're going to wrap all of this up next week with the final message, and we're going to do it in a rather unusual way. You see behind me a collage of, of photographs, wedding photos. You've seen them on the video and uh, next week, we're going to have a number of little video vignettes, and we're going to put those together in a very wonderful way. I think you're going to be blessed, and I think you're going to enjoy it, and your marriage, again, will be strengthened and inspired. But each week, we've been looking at a different Old Testament couple. And you know, it's kind of interesting. It's pretty amazing when you look at these couples, how many of their relationships weren't all that great, Right? I mean, have you noticed that? In fact, most of the time, the couples we've been studying, uh, we learn more from their negative, bad example than we do from anything positive that we could emulate. Have you ever wondered why those stories are in there? I mean, it's kind of interesting. You may, you may wonder, why would God even have that in there? Well, I think it not only keeps it real, and we can actually be encouraged by the reality of what we see in these biblical couples. But I think, much more importantly, it all points, it all points to a Redeemer. It all points to our need for a Savior. When we see these falling apart families, when we see these messed up marriages, when we see the messiness of it all, we see that, you know what, we all need grace, don't we? We all need forgiveness. We all need God's amazing help and intervention 
We, we all need a Savior to heal our broken hearts. And so today, as we continue, I want to talk about the subject of commitment and how to strengthen it. You know, the truth is, marriages are filled with all kinds of ups and downs, highs and lows, happiness, sadness, joys, fears. We go through many different seasons of marriage. But here's the thing I know. Here's the thing I know, both from my own experience and from working with literally hundreds and hundreds of couples through the years, I know that commitment, let me say it again, commitment is the one thing that can help you get through all the highs and lows, all the seasons of married life. And by the way, at the end of the service today, and I want you to know this right up front, we're gonna be doing this at each of our services this weekend at, at all of our locations. At the end of this service, we're gonna renew our vows. We're gonna have a time for everyone who would like to to actually stand at that point if your spouse is with you. And we're going to just very reverently, it's gonna be a very special, personal moment for you, even though there'll be couples all around you also renewing their vows. But we're gonna renew our marriage vows to our spouse. And so uh, if that's something you would like to do, uh, I would invite you to share in on that at the end of this service. It'll be a moment and an experience that I think will be not only be special, but that we'll never forget. So today's Old Testament couple that we're looking at is Abraham and Sarah. Now, when we read some of our passages today, you're going to see her name as Sarai, S-A-R-A-I. So I'm going to pronounce it that way at that time when it's spelled that way. And you're going to see Abraham pronounced Abram. That is the way it was before his name was changed to Abraham. So I hope you won't be confused by those little name changes. We're talking about the same people. It's Abraham and Sarah. And here's what I want you to know up front. Their marriage was not perfect. Are you hearing me? It was far from perfect. And yet amazingly, in spite of all these challenges and ups and downs, God got them through that, through all these years of marriage. I think there's some things we can learn from their experiences. So I want us to see four different ways that we can strengthen commitment, four different realities about commitment in the marriage relationship. If you're taking notes, you might want to jump in here. Commitment, first of all, is strengthened by a mutual faith. Now, I have said to many, many couples through the years, I want you to imagine your relationship like an isosceles triangle. That's a triangle with equal sides. On Every side is equal in length. And I want you to imagine that the husband is at one lower edge of that isosceles triangle. The wife is at the other lower point of that triangle. And I want you to imagine God up at the top point of the triangle. Now, here's what I want you to notice. God's up at the top. Each of you is down at these corners of the triangle, these points of the triangle, rather. And notice what happens. As you each get closer to God, as you grow spiritually, look at what's happening. What's happening? As you get closer to God, you naturally get closer to one another. That's an important reality 
for us to understand. There's something incredibly powerful when we share a mutual faith with our spouse. It has a way of drawing us closer together. Now, early on, Abram and Sarah did not have exactly the same faith. In fact, Ur, where they both lived and grew up, Ur was not a place that loved and served and worshipped the true and living God. There were all kinds of pagan deities there, and, uh, but suddenly God began to reveal himself to this man, Abram or Abraham. And he began to call him to go on a journey to, into a life of faith, and it must have taken a lot of faith in God on Sarah's part to follow along because there were so many transitions that were going to happen. When you add to that the fact that Sarah was leaving a lot behind, it makes it all the more amazing. As biblical archaeologists have worked in the ancient city of Ur, unearthing things and trying to figure out what this civilization was like, they've been amazed. They've been absolutely astounded. There was so much advanced technology in the city of Ur, even as far back as 2000 BC and even further. They had impressive brick two-story homes. There's ample evidence of a water and sewer system in the city, very unusual for that day and time. It was a city known for its advanced education. They loved to study astrology and astronomy. Here's the point. Sarah was giving up a lot in order to follow her husband, Abraham, and his faith in God. By the way, that's a picture of some of you. I'm talking to some people right now at each of our congregations, and your marriage has required a lot of commitment like that from you. Maybe you've followed your wife or your husband on a career path. Maybe you followed them as they've gone through some intense educational experiences and you tried to be supportive of their career choice or a new job. Or perhaps you uh, were driven to a new area or drawn there by a school system because of something you wanted for your children. You wanted to be a part of it, but you launched out, you left home, you went in a new direction, and quite frankly, to take that kind of risk, oh man. It required faith. Joshua 24 says that Abraham's father, Terah, lived on the other side of the river and, I quote, worshipped other gods. But Abraham changed all that. He made a radical choice to leave father and mother, not only the culture, but even changing the religious beliefs, and he chose to follow this amazing God who was revealing himself to him. And it's interesting that as Sarah and Abraham joined in faith together of the living God, Sarah is the first woman in the Bible, first woman mentioned in Hebrews 11 in the Faith Hall of Fame. There are a number of women mentioned there, along with a whole lineup of men, but Sarah is the first woman mentioned she had made God the priority of her life. Now let me speak very directly to those of you who may be considering marriage, maybe you're dating, maybe you're getting emotionally involved with someone. I I would say to you 
And I just say this out of many years of experience with people. And so I would say to you that one of the number, in fact, I would say the number one priority that you need to consider is what is the belief system? What are the values? What is the faith of that person that you're linking your life with? Oh, I hope you understand how important that is. It is very important that you intentionally seek someone who shares your same values, same basic worldview, same faith in God. We said to our children, look, there's all kinds of things that we would hope you would have in common with your spouse, ways you'd be a complimentary of each other and so on. But the number one thing we said to our children is, do they have a vital faith in Jesus Christ? Not just would they check a box off, are you Christian? That means nothing in this world. The question is, do they have a living, vital, day-by-day, moment-by-moment walk with Jesus Christ? Have they trusted in him alone for salvation? That is an important question. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And Paul is no dummy. He knows that the obvious answer there is, well, there could certainly be many things in common, Paul. Of course there can But what he's pointing out here is that if there's not a vital, mutual faith, then intentionally seeking out that relationship is playing with fire. You say, well, pastor, but what if if neither of us were believers and one became a believer later? Or, Or what if I married someone who didn't share my faith? Or what if I just find myself today in a relationship with someone and you know what, this is kind of all new to me. Well, uh, the Bible says if you're married to someone that doesn't share your faith, this is real important, it addresses it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the teaching is crystal clear, your goal, your purpose should be to stay in that marriage relationship with your spouse, although he or she is an unbeliever. You should love them, you should seek to be the Uh, the hands and feet of Christ for them. You should seek to represent Jesus well. You should seek, seek to be the best husband or wife you can possibly be. And you should pray for your spouse that he or she would come to a genuine knowledge and saving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what scripture encourages us to do. In fact, this is the way the apostle Peter puts it in 1 Peter Chapter 3, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, that is, they're unbelievers, they don't accept this morality or this worldview, all right, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Let your quiet leading of a lovely life, in other words, be so winsome that your spouse would be going, what is up with this? Whoever it is who made you this wonderful, I need to know who that God is. So pray, stick in there, represent Jesus the best you can. 
So having a common mutual faith is certainly one of the keys to commitment. A second key to strengthening commitment is that commitment tends to work through major challenges. Now, I hope we know that every marriage has challenges. And some of those challenges we bring on ourselves through our own choices and so on. And when Abraham and Sarah go through Egypt on their way to the land that God was promising them, they went through one really tough spot. Let me read this passage from Genesis chapter 12. Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. He said, I'll tell you what, say you're my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants, maid servants, and camels. But you know what happens next, folks? As you read on in the story, the Lord afflicts a serious disease on Pharaoh and his whole house, and the secret gets exposed. And Pharaoh realizes that Abram has lied and that it's because of that that all of this, these bad things are happening to them. And Pharaoh says, look, take your wife and get out of here. And he wanted him to leave. Abraham makes a foolish decision in order to save himself. That decision was demeaning to the institution of marriage. It was selfish. It displayed a lack of trust in God. Sarah goes along with it. And all of this was a sign that for both of them, for both of them, their faith at this point was very immature. Very immature. But it's going to keep growing in spite of other mistakes that they make along the way. Now, you know what I wish? I wish so badly that we had in Scripture a description of their conversations about this. That's what I wish. Oh, that would be so instructive. I wish we had a, a description of how they talked through this and what went on. But this I know, any married couple, they're going to just get flat out mad at each other at times. They're going to do things that drive their spouse mad. One of you makes a hurtful comment. One of you publicly embarrasses the other. One of you spends money frivolously without even a conversation, even though you'd previously agreed that you would have a conversation. I like the guy who said to his wife, I wouldn't marry you again if you were the only woman on the face of the earth. She said, of course you wouldn't. You'd be killed in the stampede. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with her, all right? There'll be all kinds of challenges, but the key, the key to overcoming all of those is not just good communication, it's commitment. And that's the thing that got Abraham and Sarah 
through selfishness, sin, and even flat-out stupidity. They were committed to one another. A third reality I want us to consider is that commitment survives the ups and downs of life. Now, the background of their story is that God had promised Abraham and Sarah a huge number of offspring, but now they were getting older and older and older, and there's still no children. And so they're beginning to get restless and frustrated, and faith is wearing thin, and they're wondering, how is God going to make good on this promise? Now, some of you can understand literally the frustration, the challenge of being childless and yet wanting to have children of your own. But whether you can identify with that particular struggle or not, all of us can identify with disappointment, with failed expectations, with marriage not living up to what we thought it would be. And the circumstances of life have a way of straining our relationships. Can I tell you something? Satan would like nothing more than to turn that person who ought to be your closest ally into your greatest enemy. I said to you last week, he is bent on destroying that which is sacred. He wants to turn husbands and wives against each other. I beg you, don't let him do that. Let your commitment help you through the ups and downs of marriage. Look at what happens here in Genesis 16. Earlier, we saw Abraham making a big blunder, lying about his identity, lying about his wife in order to save himself, or so he thought. And now in Genesis 16, Sarah is going to make her own huge mistake. And Abraham is just blithely going along with it. Genesis 16.1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Now, husbands, let's have a little huddle up here, all right? A word to the wise. There are times, there are times when you should not agree with what your wife says, Okay? And this is one of those times. She said, Abe, sleep with the maid. And immediately, Abram said, okay. If there was ever a place for this patriarch to say, wait a minute, whoa, 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 let's have a conversation here. If there was ever a place for a pregnant pause, no pun intended, this was the time and place. Sarah suggested and Abraham is already putting on his axe body spray and going out the door. Now, guys have been accused of having a one-track mind, and frankly, I think we come by that usually pretty honestly. Some months ago, there was an ad. This really happened, folks. True story. There was an ad in a, a paper in the personal section of this Atlanta newspaper, and it said, and I quote now, I quote now from the ad that was in this paper. Single black female seeks male companionship. Ethnicity not important. I'm a very good looking girl who loves to play. Just reading the article, folks. I love long walks in the woods, hunting, camping, 
fishing trips, cozy winter nights lying by the fire. Candlelight dinners will have me eating out of your hand. Rub me the right way and watch me respond. I'll be at the front door when you get home from work wearing only what nature gave me. Kiss me and I'm yours. Call 404-875-6420 and ask for Daisy. This is a true story, folks. 15,000 men called that number to ask for Daisy. And when they called, they reached the Atlanta Humane Society (laughs) where a nine-week-old black Labrador retriever named Daisy was waiting to be adopted. The sad thing is that some of the single guys were writing that number down, all right? A one-track mind? Sure. It's a safe statement. Sarah said to Abraham, hey, go and sleep with the maid servant Hagar. Abraham's response should have been, oh, hon, I know you're frustrated like I am. God gave us a promise. But I want you to know, babe, that my faithfulness to you is far more important than if we ever have children. But besides, God promised. And we need to be patient. And as difficult as it is for both of us, we need to keep waiting and waiting and do things God's way. Not, let's, not, let's not act foolishly here. But that's not what he said And that's not what he does, and that's not how the story unfolds. We read on. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, "'You are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering.'" I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Hagar became pregnant, bore a son named Ishmael, and I want to make certain that you understand this. Pretty much every conflict in the Middle East today can be traced back to this foolish decision that Abraham and Sarah made. All of Ishmael's descendants fighting against all of Isaac's descendants, the child that Abraham and Sarah would later have 13 years later, fighting over who the land really belongs to after all and who has rights. We read on in Genesis 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. And even through what must have been one of the most painful times in their life, they stayed Together, that's impressive. It was the longest wait in history of mankind for two people to be able to have a child and then for God to bless them. But commitment got them through that. 
Well, there's one final thing I want to highlight today before we come to our time of vow renewal, and that is this final statement. Commitment means being faithful until death. Faithful unto death. Through good and bad, Abraham and Sarah stood together. When it was all said and done, they they just hung in there. They just stayed together. And we read in Genesis 25, verse 10, there Abraham was buried with his wife, Sarah. You may have picked up in our discussion today that I have never once said commitment was fun, have I? (laughs) You may have picked up in our discussion today that never once have I said that it would be easy to keep commitment. Or that commitment will allow you to have every good feeling you ever wanted to have. No, you've not heard that from me at all because that's not true. It's, it's just not a realistic view of marriage. What we all need to understand is there'll be plenty of conflicts, plenty of challenges, but working through them and inviting God in on the process makes all the difference in the world. I don't want anybody to get the feeling that I believe marriage is a drudgery. For me, it has not been. Apart from my own commitment and relationship with Jesus Christ, I have gotten more joy out of my relationship with Debbie than anything else in life. Marriage for me, in spite of the challenges, ups and downs, marriage for me, I can honestly say, has been awesome. But I will say this to those of you who are married or considering marriage, you don't really know what your commitment is until it's tested, really. Oh, it may be there, but until it's tested, you don't really know what that commitment is, do you? It's easy to be faithful when life is easy and decisions are mutual and the laughter comes easily, it doesn't take a lot com- of commitment. It may be there, but you just don't notice it. <clears throat> Where you really need commitment is when laughter is gone, when there's been personal wounds that go deep, when there's been violations of trust, when you've trampled all over one another in all kinds of ways, and that's That's when you really know the power of commitment. The most essential ingredient, I believe, and this will sound like a crazy statement to some of you, but this is what I believe. I'm just just being very personal here. I believe the most essential ingredient to a happy marriage is just making a promise and never looking back. It's just making a promise making a commitment, and never looking back. Because if you're comparing, if you're looking over your shoulder, if you're debating about getting out, you're already sowing the seeds of disharmony. And if you don't remember any other statement I make today, this is the statement I would want you to remember. This is it right here. God has not called you to be happy. So much as he's called you to be holy. God has not called you to be happy so much as he's called you to be holy. 
to be obedient to him. And here's what you will find. Trust me, trust me. When you have a real relationship with God and you are obedient to God, he will see to it. He will see to it that you have a meaningful and satisfying life. Some of you don't have your spouse with you today. I understand that. He or she may be serving in the kids' celebration ministry or maybe serving in some other area in the church. They may be sick today. They may not attend church with you. There's all kinds of reasons. But, but if your spouse is not with you today, I would encourage you, I would encourage you, if you'd like, <coughs> just to imagine them here. And you at least, you at least, can renew your vows to them, okay? To him or her. But for those of you who do have your spouse with you, I would ask you right now, if they're with you right now beside you, would you just reach over and take their hand for a moment? Even if you bicker all the way to church, that's okay. Go ahead and take their hand. You're making peace right now. Even if you fought all the way here, that's all right. Just take their hand. And I'm going to ask you now, just kind of quietly and reverently, right where you are, you don't need, if you need to step out in the aisle, that's okay. Some of you may need a little more space. But I'm going to ask you, as you've got the hand there of your spouse, I'm going to ask you just to stand up all over the room. And at all of our locations, if you would do the same, just stand up there. And I would ask you, actually, if there's room there in your row, can you face your spouse, please? You just face them and hold hands. Just hold hands. You not, aren't going to be exchanging rings, I don't think, but you are going to be saying your vows and renewing them to one another, okay? So I'm going to ask you just to repeat these vows out loud. Now, men, we are going to start with the guys today, and then we'll move on uh, to the women. And now, let me say one thing before we start. I realize that some of the most committed people in the world aren't super demonstrative. I get that. And some of you may feel a little manipulated, right? And I don't want you to feel manipulated. Listen, if you feel manipulated, please, no, 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 no. That's not what this is about. This is just a wonderful, positive act here of recommitting ourselves and saying, you know what? I do love you. And in spite of all the ups and downs, in spite of all the tough places in the road, and in spite of all the joyous times of ecstasy that we've had together, listen, my commitment to you remains rock solid, and you just want to renew that today. So are you ready? Here we go. Say these vows to God and to your spouse as you face each other. Men, let's start with you. I blank take you blank. Go right ahead and say that. Put your name in. To be my wedded wife. To have and to hold from this day forward. For better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. Now, wives, I would ask you now to say these vows to God and to your mate. Say them from the heart. I blank take you blank. to be my wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, 
in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. By the power invested in me as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I pronounce that you are still (laughs) husband and wife. Those whom God has joined together, let no one separate. Gentlemen, you may kiss your bride. Amen and amen. I believe that marriage is God's idea. It is sacred. And may God help us to live with that in mind. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful thing that has just occurred. What an honor to you it really is. Thank you for all of the couples, in spite of the ups and downs, just like Abraham and Sarah, in spite of foolish decisions many times, and in spite of getting off of your path for a season. Lord, Thank you for the commitment that was just expressed. Father, I ask that you would solidify those commitments and make love flourish. Make love flourish in these homes. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.